Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here with you, to be able to stand in this uh, pulpit this evening and to bring the Word of God uh, to each of you. I trust it'll be a blessing. I want to thank you for those of you who have prayed for my wife and have asked about her, uh, which is many of you, far more than I could remember all of your names. Um, she's coming along slowly, um, but um, she has her good days and her bad days, and we've still got a long road ahead uh, for her recovery. But uh, I thank you for your prayers. Uh, we appreciate them very, very much, uh, and uh, more than we could ever uh, explain. Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 this evening. Matthew 7. We're going to look at verse 12. Matthew 7. It's the third chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the longest of the sermons recorded by Jesus Christ. Matthew 7, verse 12. On Sunday, Pastor Wendell mentioned the golden rule and the conclusion of his message, so I thought it might be good for us to consider that rule tonight. The golden rule has been stated by various teachers in various ways, even before the time of Christ. Confucius, the Chinese sage living about 500 years before Christ, said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Socrates, the Greek philosopher, about 400 years before Christ, said, What stirs your anger when done to you by others, that do not do to others. The Jewish apocryphal book, Tobit, that was about 200 years before uh, Jesus, urged, Watch yourself, my son, in everything you do, and discipline yourself in all your conduct. And what you hate, do not do to anyone. Hillel, the Hebrew rabbi who died in the early part of the first century, said, Do not do to thy neighbor what is hateful to thyself. Many versions of, a, of the golden rule. Even my dog has a version, a very different uh, version. Many of you know that, that uh, we have a golden retriever, a service dog for my son. And uh, now our golden rules are not one, but, but two. Two real simple ones, feed me and love me. Uh, that means, you know, love on me, pet me, pet me, pet me some more, and never stop. And if you stop, I'm going to uh, uh, kind of groan at you. And uh. So there's lots of uh, versions of the golden rule. Uh, and, um, but tonight, we, we want to consider not, not any of these other versions that... Uh, sages of old have come up with, or even what my dog thinks, uh, but rather the golden rule that Jesus Christ has given us. Will you stand with me? We're going to read Matthew 7 and verse 12. Matthew 7 and verse 12. Jesus says, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God, for Jesus Christ and his words that were spoken and yet live and ring true in our lives. And so we pray that they will do that this evening so that we might learn and grow by them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. For many, the golden rule is a good philosophy of life. 
But I want you to see that the golden rule is more than that tonight. It's God's law to govern our behavior toward others. And therefore, it's important that we know what it means and how we are to live by it in our lives. A common quotation of the rule is simply, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You've probably heard that uh, stated many different times and seen it on signs and uh, various places. And although that rendering is not far from Jesus' words, it does overlook a few important differences. Look again at what Jesus said. All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, there it is, do ye even so to them. Compare those two for a minute. The common quotation ignores the all things whatsoever. The common quotation reverses the two phrases. It starts with others and ends with self. Jesus starts with self and ends with others. And that's significant, as we'll see in a few minutes. The common quotation does not emphasize the strong, selfish desires that we often have. You see how Jesus puts it? Whatsoever ye would that men should do. And the common quotation almost sounds like it has an ulterior motive, you know, because it's ending with self, to, to get others to treat you in a certain way. Now, considering these differences and the fact that the golden rule is spoken so glibly today, it's very important that we understand what Jesus was actually saying. So I want you to see something about the meaning of this rule. This rule is, first of all, according to Jesus, a command to love. A command to love. Earlier in this sermon, Jesus commanded us to love everyone, including our enemies. You can look back in chapter 5. Uh, as I told you, the sermon begins at the beginning of chapter 5. But at the end of chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. So this rule that we have here in chapter 7, verse 12, is really an elaboration on that thought. It's important to note uh, also that this command that Jesus gives us, do ye even so to them, that's a command. Uh, we call that in grammar an imperative. It's something you are being commanded to do. And furthermore, Jesus places the emphasis on you. You'll see it that ye. He says, ye, you, need to be doing this. My point is, folks, it doesn't matter how they treat you. You are to do this to them. This command is for you, and you have an obligation to live this way. It is your Lord and Savior who has commanded it. So essentially, Jesus is saying this. Think about yourself for a minute. Your likes, your dislikes, your preferences, the things that irritate you, the things that make you happy, the things that encourage you, or the things that discourage you. And whatever it is that you come up with, and everything that you come up with on that list, you are to do or to avoid doing to others. 
as Pastor reminded us on Sunday, this command calls us to be others-oriented. It is a command to love. The great love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. And the Apostle Paul describes love in that chapter. He says, charity, which is another word for love, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Those are just verses 4 and 5 on that chapter, from the love chapter. There's, there's a lot more that he says, but I just want you to think about those two verses, because I can't get through those two verses without finding fault in my life, in my love. I mean, he says, love suffers long. It's long-suffering with others. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not vaunt itself. That's, that's the old King James way of saying it doesn't brag, it doesn't boast. It's not puffed up, it doesn't behave unseemly or in an inappropriate way. Listen to this one, he says, it seeketh not her own. Love doesn't look for its own things. Isn't that what we saw? but looks after the things of others. We saw that on Sunday. It's thinking about others. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. To think no evil of someone else. That's love. That's doing to others what you'd want them to do to you. This command that Jesus has given us that we call the golden rule, this is a command to love. The second thing that I want you to note is that it is a check on selfishness, a check on our selfishness. You see, we are naturally inclined to be selfish. When we come into this world, we are born with a selfish bent. Have you ever seen a baby that wasn't selfish? Of course not. He doesn't understand other people. He doesn't understand the burdens and the cares that they bear. He doesn't know the worries of his parents. All he knows is that he's uh, hungry or wet or tired or unhappy. And so he cries. He doesn't stop and think before screaming in the middle of the night. You know, my parents need their rest. Um, my dad has to get up and go to work early in the morning or... My mom was up with me late last night caring for me. I think maybe I'll wait to scream until um, six or seven. Let them sleep in a little bit. No, you didn't have a child like that, neither did I. We're born with that, that selfish attitude. You know, the Bible does not doubt that either. It acknowledges it. Leviticus 19, 18, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, the Bible assumes that you love yourself. In fact, that verse is quoted numerous times in the New Testament. Paul picks up on the same thought in Ephesians chapter 5. He's talking about marriage, and he says in verse 28, so, men, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
Verse 33, same chapter. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. The problem with man, folks, is not that he hates himself. He loves himself. In fact, the problem with man is that he loves himself too much. Now, that's a hard truth to swallow. Seems especially hard in our day when we're told otherwise. But the Bible says that that's the problem. And because of our sin nature, we have a bent towards selfishness. Furthermore, the Bible says that at the root of man's interpersonal problems, you know, all those problems that we have with other people, those conflicts the pastor was talking about on Sunday, it's all because of an excessive love for self and a lack of love for others. And that's why Jesus gave us the golden rule as a check on our selfishness to make us stop and think before we start doing things or saying things to people or about them. Jesus never intended for you to employ this rule in order to better yourself. Let's make sure we understand that too. You know, some people use the golden rule as a way to manipulate others. Well, you know, if you want your, you tell your child, you know, well, if you want uh, Johnny to, to treat you better, treat him better. And so it's the idea that, you know, if you treat other people better, you can manipulate them into maybe treating you better and being nicer. While there may be truth to that, that is not the purpose of the golden rule and why Jesus gave it to us. The whole purpose of the rule is to get you to quit thinking about yourself and to start thinking about others. Now, folks, that's why Jesus starts with self and then moves to others. Look at the verse again. I pointed this out. This is different from the common quotation because he says, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. Here we are thinking about ourselves. That's where we naturally think, you know. And then he says, do ye even so to them. I want you to quit thinking about yourself, and I want you to turn your thinking outward and start thinking about others. And that's where our thinking needs to be going. I could give you an example this way. You know, someone calls you a name, and uh, you say to yourself, you know, I don't like that. That hurts. And then you say, you know, if I don't like it, then I'll bet other people don't like it either. After all, there are people like I am, and so I'm not going to call other people names. Or I could, um, you could put any number of, of issues in there, sins that people commit against others. But let's, uh, let's turn it to a positive, you know. Maybe somebody does a kindness for you. Uh, ladies, you're leaving the department store with your arms full. Uh, and uh, maybe you can remember these days, you know, you have a baby in one arm and another in the stroller and three bags, and you're trying to get through the doors, and you come up to those doors, and they're double doors, you know. They have these department stores. And you go, how am I going to get through all those doors? And then some nice man comes along and opens them up, and he opens both doors for you. And you go through, and you think, wow, that was so nice. You know, from now on, I'm going to look out for others and, and help out other shoppers that are struggling around. Now, I've simplified things just a little bit to make a point. 
But that's the way we're supposed to be thinking. Of course, that sounds good in principle. The hard part is coming, is going to be living it out in our lives because, here again, we are selfish by nature. So remember, folks, that Jesus' rule is not do to others as they do to you. <laughs> that, that is not the rule. Because other people will not always be so nice to you. We are inclined to respond with unkindness when people around us are unkind. But that's the very thing that Jesus is trying to restrain in our lives. We're being called upon to show love and kindness no matter what others may do. The verse again says, Whatsoever ye would. Or we could say, Whatever you should desire or you should want. So whatever you would desire that others would say or do to you is the very thing that you should say or do to them, no matter what they have done to you. Now think about that the next time your spouse gets upset with you or an acquaintance jumps to the wrong conclusions about your actions or a friend stabs you in the back, or your boss rakes you over the coals for something you did not do, or a driver pulls out in front of you when you had the right of way. You say, well, I wouldn't do any of that. That's not the point, folks. How would you want someone to respond to you if you did do that? They want, would you want them to yell back at you? Would you want them to become angry? Would you want them to go out and then criticize you to everyone else that they meet? Would you want them to pull their car up behind you and for the next mile just ride your bumper all the way down the road? You know, folks, we, we want love and kindness shown to us even when we're being corrected for something we've done wrong, right? Even when we don't deserve it, we want someone else to still be nice to us. I'm not saying that we don't want to be told that we're wrong. You might say, well, if I did any of that, I'd want to be told. But you'd still want to be told nicely. And so, folks, that's what we need to do for others. J.C. Penney is remembered for establishing the department store that bears his name, even to this day. It is a store, by the way, that was built on the principle of the golden rule. And so for years, they were known as one of the most honest and reputable stores that you could shop at. This Christian principle was instilled in him by his father when Penny was only a boy. Penny's first business venture was raising hogs on his father's farm. The neighbors offered him scraps from their kitchens and to give to his hogs. When he sold his first hog, he made a little profit, so he went out and bought more. And then, of course, he made more profit. He was doing really well. But guess what? That meant he was getting lots of hogs. 
And lots of pigs bring something else, too. It wasn't long before the neighbors were complaining about the, the smell and the noise that were coming from Jim's pig pen. And that's when Penny learned the essence of the golden rule. His father ordered him one day to sell all the pigs. He was stunned. He reasoned with his father that all pig pens smell. All pigs are noisy. You can't expect that to be different. And besides, those neighbors have no right telling us what to do on our land. But Mr. Penny replied, you have no right to make money if by doing so, you are taking advantage of other people. And so Jim sold the pigs, much to his regret. But his godly father taught him a lesson that day that he never forgot, a principle that eventually earned him tremendous success in the business world. But the important thing to realize, folks, is that Penny didn't adopt the golden rule in order to become successful. He adopted it because it was right. And God blessed him for his righteousness. So that brings us then to, to the practice of this rule. How do we live out this rule? How do we put it into practice? Greg M. Epstein is a humanist chaplain at Harvard University. And don't ask me what a humanist chaplain is or does. But he said this about the golden rule. It is a concept that essentially no religion misses entirely, but not a single one of these versions of the golden rule requires a god. But I'm going to show you that he's wrong. You can't practice the golden rule, not as Jesus meant anyway, without God. It begins, folks, with a relationship with God, and this is necessary. Now, although this rule is often quoted by many people just out of the context, and some people don't even know it comes out of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we have to put it back in its context because that's how Jesus spoke it and intended it. As I said, this is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus spoke in the Galilee region up on a little hill. And this sermon is not a collection of sayings, but rather has a definite progression and flow. We don't have time, of course, to go through the whole sermon. But as you understand the relationship of this uh, saying to the rest of the sermon, you're going to better understand how to practice it. Look again at the verse as we have it in, Ma in Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even so to them. Notice the last phrase, for this is the law and the prophets. That's Jesus' own commentary on the golden rule. And he said that it summarizes all of the law and the prophets. That's the Old Testament, essentially. It summarizes that. Particularly, he's talking about one's relationship with others. Now I want you to consider this, Jesus' statement about the law at the beginning of the sermon. So go back to chapter 5 and verse 17. Soon after the Beatitudes, and Jesus talks about uh, being salt and light in this world. In verse 17 he says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That verse 20 would have been an astounding thought to Jesus' hearers. Because although we think of the Pharisees as hypocrites, they thought of the Pharisees as the most righteous people of the day. Jesus was very concerned with keeping the law. We're talking about the true keeping of it. In fact, the paragraphs that follow there uh, in your Bible, Jesus goes on to explain the law to us. And so he says, anger is the same as murder, and lust is as bad as adultery. Because he's talking about the heart and is concerned with the heart. Now, the second thing I want you to note is over in Matthew chapter 22. You want to turn over there. We'll come back to Matthew 7. But uh, look at Matthew 22 for a minute. We call this the, the greatest commandments in Jesus' statement that he made in answer to the question, what is the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So first, he says, you need to love God above everything else. And listen, folks, if you have that kind of love for God, a love for him above everything else, then you're not going to get involved in idolatry. And you won't take his name in vain because it'll be important to you. And you'll honor his day of worship because you love God. The second commandment, he says, is simply to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. If you do that, you won't murder him, obviously. In fact, you won't get angry with him or steal from him or curse him. Love is to govern all relationships. And didn't I say that the golden rule was a command to love? And thus, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, is essentially identical to the golden rule. Now look at verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus said that these two commandments were like two pegs. And if you put a string on every one of the laws in the Old Testament, and the Pharisees had added up about 600 of them, so if you put a string on every one of them, you could hang them on one of those two pegs. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. And since Jesus said that the golden rule summarized the law and the prophets, and that the second commandment did the same, in essence, folks, he said that they're the same rule. Now, I've walked you through this little reasoning process for a purpose. When Jesus stated the two great commandments, he put them in order. Number one, you've got to love God. And then secondly, is to love others. God must come first. 
And this is also true if you're going to keep the golden rule. In order to obey the golden rule, you must have a relationship with God. And that, of course, as we know from the New Testament, comes only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we put our faith in him and his finished work on the cross, we receive that eternal life and we receive a relationship with God. And that's when we're able to keep the golden rule. Now, if you're a believer, I assume that you want to keep this rule. And if you're a believer, you can keep it because you're in a proper relationship with God. But there again, you're going to have to put God first, Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Earlier, I mentioned uh, James Cash Penny. He founded his nationwide store on that principle of the golden rule. You know, he was a brilliant businessman, obviously knew how to make money in retailing, but he was also a devout Christian, and he was unwilling to compromise his convictions. His first venture was not a, a department store, but rather a butcher shop in Longmont, Colorado, opened in 1899. It almost failed immediately, or it did fail almost immediately, because he refused to bribe an important local hotel chef with a weekly bottle of bourbon. Penny said later, I lost everything I had, but I learned never to compromise. In order to practice the golden rule, you're going to have to be in a right relationship with God. You need God to do it. And that brings me to the second thing. There needs to be a reliance on God, too. A reliance on God. Look again at Matthew 7, verse 12. The first word there is, therefore. Whenever you see that word, of course, it's pointing back to something that precedes. Doesn't you, that strike you kind of strange? Especially if we were reading the whole chapter, you might think that this verse is just out of place. Therefore, what's Jesus looking back at? I submit to you that he's looking back to verses 1 and 2. Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. You see, actually, Jesus hasn't given up the discussion on judging others or being critical about others. The golden rule is actually the living out in everyday life of not judging others, but rather choosing to do for them, to think about them, to treat them the way you would want to be treated. Verses 7 to 11, following that discussion on judging others, he, gives, uh, he talks about prayer. And the emphasis on prayer shows you, folks, that the power to keep from judging others comes from not yourself, but from God. You're going to have to pray. Furthermore, look at verse 11. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? God gives good things to us. Do we deserve them? No. God gives us salvation if we call upon him and ask for it. Do we deserve it? God gives us forgiveness when we sin and fail him. Do we deserve it? God gives us many, many other blessings too. Think about them. Spiritual, material, family, bodily, and we could go on and on. 
And he gives them to us simply because we ask or simply because he loves us. Do we deserve them? No. God gives them to us out of his grace, folks. Now catch the force of Jesus' words here then in verse 12. In essence, he says, since God is a God of grace who gives us many things that we do not deserve, therefore, all the things, whatever they are, that you would desire to be done for you, you do those things to others, even if they don't deserve it. You see, folks, you and I are carriers of God's grace. We have received from God. We are to take that grace and give it to others. Jesus said, freely ye have received, freely give. And so the golden rule is to be practiced by us for all and to be given to all freely. You say, they don't deserve it. It doesn't matter. You didn't deserve God's grace either. But God gave it to you. And we give it to others. So I say to you folks that the, the golden rule is more than a good philosophy for life. You see, it's, it's God's law to govern our behavior toward others in the home, in the workplace, in the world, in the church. This is a command to love even the most unlovely. This is a check on your own selfishness. And that's why, that's why God's help, you're going to need God's help to live it. But with God's power and God's grace in your life, you can do it. When you're playing a game with someone, like chess, especially chess, you know, you take your time and make your move, and then you might sit back and say, it's your move now. It's your move. Well, someone has said this. The golden rule is of no use whatever unless you realize it's your move. It's your move. My friends, it's your move tonight when you get home. It's your move tomorrow at work. It's your move next week. In fact, it's your move always. Let's practice that, the golden rule. Shall we stand for prayer? Our gracious God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be in your house and to open the word of God, to look at what Jesus says. Lord, I know that when I read a verse like this, so many times I'm convicted. I fall so short of following it. And so I speak for myself as well as those who are here. Give us the strength and the grace to follow the rule of Jesus. This little rule we call the golden rule that we've taught to children and encouraged people to live by. 
is so difficult to put into practice on a regular basis because of the selfishness in our hearts. And so, Lord, we pray that you would you would cut out that selfishness, that you'd make us more like Jesus, who gave of himself freely so that we could have what we do not deserve. Make us people of grace, carriers of grace, God's grace. And as a result, may Jesus Christ be glorified in our lives everywhere we go. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, please open to Ephesians chapter 5 today, Ephesians chapter 5. Special welcome to our college students. Most of them have returned. Some are still on their way, but welcome, college students. Glad to have you, have you back for the summertime. Every day, people ask the question, is there a God? Is there a God? If there is a God, what does he have to say? And I'm here to tell you that there is a God, and he does have something to say to you and to me. And so every Sunday, every Sunday we open, we open our Bibles to hear what God has to say to us. The Word of God reveals the will of God for our lives. And so if, you are, if you're searching for an owner's manual, a handbook, a how-to on this thing we call life, then look no further than the Bible that we hold in our hands. God has something to say to us. And today we come to a passage where God gives family instructions, but he gives it to all of us. Would you please stand together as we show honor to God's word? I'll begin reading from the end of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, and going into chapter 6. Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let every one of you, that's the husbands, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence, that she respect her husband. Children, obey, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. May we pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you that you have spoken. Thank you that you've given the word of God to each one of us. And Father, I thank you for the challenge we will hear today, and I pray that we would receive it and believe it and obey it. Father, I pray if there is one in this worship center that does not know Jesus Christ as their own Savior, I ask for the Spirit of God to go up and down every aisle to touch their heart, to convict them, to draw them to yourself, that they might be born again today in your family. Father, help us to understand that the truth in this passage is what our society needs, what our country needs, to understand that 95% that of our prisons would be emptied if, if the people of our, our nation would follow what you've said in this book. God, may you remove the distractions. May we focus our attention upon the message and the truths we find. 
in these verses. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there are many uh, different definitions of mother. It's a noun. One person who does the work of 20 for free. <laughs> That's one of the many definitions of mom. But how did this all happen, ladies? Well, it began with, with marriage. It began with marriage. Uh, here's a definition of that. Marriage is a fairy tale, just in reverse. You start out at a ball in a beautiful gown and end up spending all day cleaning up after little people. <laughs> How true that is. But it isn't without its admiration. And so a little boy is in his parents' room and gets to the closet. See, I told you. So that's how she does it. Happy Mother's Day to the super moms uh, everywhere. And so happy Mother's Day to all you super moms. You know, no one has entered this world without a mother. Uh, this is the one thing that science and technology uh, will, will they'll never do, and that is to create life. You see, God, God alone is the creator of life, and he has ordained that the only way that we can come into this world is with a mom and with a dad. And at the very moment of conception, life begins. Biologists, they call this new created baby, they call it a zygote, a zygote. And that living organism has, has 46 chromosomes, 23 from mom and 23 from dad. And when they are connected together, all the genetic code of that life is present in the zygote. I mean, the eye color and the hair color and the, and the facial features and, of course, the gender. There is no gender confusion in the womb. The baby is a boy or the baby is a girl, except in a very rare occasion, there is a genetic deformity. Every new baby that has ever entered this world has one mom and one dad, and from the moment of conception, it is a boy or a girl, male or female. A six-year-old boy separated from his mother in a supermarket. He became, became frantic, and so he's wandering up and down the different aisles. And so finally, finally, uh, at the end of an aisle, he just began yelling, Sally, Sally, Sally! And that was his mother's name. And, and of course, she heard him, and she came running quickly. But honey, she admonished, you shouldn't call me Sally. I'm mother to you. Yes, I know. He answered, but this store is full of mothers, and I needed you. <laughs> and she came. You know, our world is full of mothers, but we only have one mom who is special. There's no one like our mom. And my mom is caring for my dad down in Virginia, and she's watching online, and I just want to say, hi, mom. Happy Mother's Day. Call you later. Busy right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, no one can take the place of our mom. Uh, someone wrote, you've turned into a mom when? You've turned into a mom when? You automatically double knot everything you tie. Uh, you've turned into a mom when you find yourself humming the Barney song as you do the dishes. 
You turn into a mom when you hear a baby cry in the grocery store and you start to gently sway uh, back and forth even if your children are at school or long gone. You know you've turned into a mom when you actually start to like the smell of strained carrots and applesauce. That never happened to a dad. Not going to happen. When you spend a half hour searching for your sunglasses only to have your teenager say, Mom, why don't you wear the ones on your forehead? You know you've turned into a mom when you're out for a nice romantic meal with your husband, enjoying some real adult conversation, when suddenly you realize you've reached over and started to cut up his steak in little tiny pieces. (laughs) Over the years, I preached to you about Jochebed, Moses' mom, and Hannah, Samuel's mom, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, Mary, Jesus' mother, and Eunice, Timothy's mother. I preached about a mother's love, a a mother's faith, a mother's influence. We've studied Proverbs 31 together, 34 past Mother's Day messages, and I trust all of those in some way have helped to be able to, to build you up spiritually. And I prayed for God to guide me this week, and I kept coming back to one question, and that question is, if God had just one thing to say to you today, what would it be? If God had just one thing to say to you today, what would it be? Now, God has more than one thing to say to you, doesn't he? And so look with me in your notes. Uh, For instance, if you are not a Christian, God says, receive Christ today. God says, receive Christ today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad or a son or a daughter. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. He said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Church can't save you. A baptism can't save you. Good works can't save you. Being sincere can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can wash away all of your sins. Why? Because we've all sinned, and there's a penalty for our sin. What's that penalty? It's it's eternal death. Jesus Christ came into the world. He died upon that cross, and he, he took our place. He was our substitute. He took our eternal death, and he rose again, and he offers a gift. And the gift is eternal life. The gift is heaven. That's what he offers to us. If you're not a Christian, God says receive Christ today, and that's why God brought you here today. If you are backslidden, God says return to the Lord. If you're backslidden, God says return to the Lord. In your notes on page 1, Isaiah wrote, let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon you. If you are a true Christian, but you are not walking with God, you already know what God wants you to do, don't you? Uh, Don't you in your heart? Ask God to forgive you. Now, not to get saved again. You don't need to get saved again and again and again and again. No, no. But to restore the fellowship that has been broken. And when you come back to God, And when you reach out to God, do you know what you will find? His mercy. His mercy. He is ready and willing to abundantly pardon. It doesn't say just pardon. It says abundantly pardon and to be able to restore you. Now, if you are a faithful Christian, God says keep on going. 
I mean, just keep on going. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. The closer we get to the Lord's return, the more we are co should be committed to the Lord and his church. Hebrews 10, 24, as we see the day approaching, you know what that day is? It's the day of the return of Christ. Are we the closest generation to the return of Jesus Christ than anyone in the history of the church age? The answer is yes, yes. And so the command to us is, as you get closer to the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, be more committed to God, be more committed to his local church. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. But if God had just one thing to say to you today, what would it be? And we come to this passage of Ephesians 5. And so, I'd like to begin with the dads. Now, it's not for the moms, but, but, but ladies, this will help you, okay? So here it is. Uh, God's message to the dads, Ephesians 5, 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you, let every husband in particular, so love his wife even as himself. God says to the dads, love your wife. Love your wife. How do you do that? Well, you tell her. Tell her you love her every day. Men, every day from your lips, your wife is to hear the words, I, what? Say it with me. I love you. I love you. You can't, you, you, you can do it, and you'll be glad you did. But not just with the words. Let her be, show her. You love her. Tell her you love her. Show her you love her. Show her not just with words, but actions. Live every day so it's obvious. It's obvious to her. It's obvious to everyone else that you love this woman you call your wife. A couple, a couple in marriage distress went to see a professional marriage counselor. They paid $100, and after an hour of frustration, the counselor finally came over. And he asked the wife to stand, and she did. And he walked up to her, and he gave her this big hug. He turned to the husband and said, See, see, this is what she needs once a day. The husband said, Fine, what time do you want me to bring her in tomorrow? <laughs> uh, you can't pay someone else to do this for you. This is your job. God says, Love your wife. You tell her, you show her you love her. And then let her see, you love her the way Christ loves his church. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is that? Hebrews 5.25, or Ephesians 5.25, a husband's love your wife says, Christ loved the church and gave, would you circle that word, gave himself for it. What kind of love is that? that how, how did Jesus love you? How did he love you? It's a sacrificial love. It's a caring love. It's a, it's a giving love. It's a dying love. Men, that means, that means you're supposed to say yes to her thousand little requests. Say it, say yes, yes. Husbands, say yes. And then you say yes until it hurts. And then you say yes again. You only say no when something serious is jeopardized. In the big picture, you know finances are world peace. Other than that, man, you're to be saying yes. How are you to love? You follow 1 Corinthians 13. And what is that? That's a description. It's a definition of biblical love. Agape love is giving. It's sacrifice. It's making decisions based upon the benefit of the other person. 
Put it in practice. Ephesians 4.32 is just a nice summary, uh, not just for the husbands, but this is for all of us, for everyone. Ephesians 4.32, see if you can pick out the three commands that God is giving to you today. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Three simple commands. This is how you're supposed to treat people. Be kind, be tender, be forgiving. But then he raises uh, the, the, the level of the intensity when he says, I want you to forgive in the same way that Jesus Christ has forgiven you. How has he forgiven you? Completely. I mean, he has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He has taken your sins and put it behind his back. He says, I will remember your sins no more. He says, I buried them in the deepest part of the sea. That's how you're supposed to forgive. So husbands, when you, when you show love to your wife, you're supposed to love her the way Christ loves the church. And that is kind. Are your words kind? Tender. Are your actions tender? And your forgiveness. You don't go fishing. You don't go fishing and remind her of the things that she said and the things that she did. This is what God says. He says, love. Love your wife. Now we get to the moms. God's message to the moms. We find it in verse 33. Uh, he said, so uh, love your wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence. That's the word respect. That she respect her husband. It's plain, simple, clear. It's sublime. God says, respect your husband. Respect your husband. Ladies, ladies, if you want to ruin your marriage, if you want to have a lifetime of grief, be disrespectful to your husband. I mean, humiliate him in public, humiliate him in private. Mock him, constantly correct him. Uh, he always gets the details of the story mixed up. He says it was Monday, but it was really Tuesday. He said it was two years ago, but it was really three years ago. Does it matter? Is it important for you to correct him, for you to humiliate him, for you to mock him? God says, respect your husband. A really insensitive husband. I mean, this guy was so dense. So dense. He said to his wife, he said, why did God make you so beautiful yet so dumb? She said, I know why. He made me beautiful so you would marry me and he made me dumb so, so I would marry you. <laughs> Don't repeat that, all right? <laughs> okay, here are some thoughts on, on how to respect your husband. Letter A, respect him because God commands it. God commands it. Did you notice all of the if clauses in the verse? Did you see them? Well, look. Verse 33. The wife see that she reverence or respect her husband if, if, if he is a Christian. If he is a spiritual leader, if he deserves it, if he doesn't forget important days, you know, like birthdays, anniversaries, Mother's Day, if he doesn't say hurtful things to you. No, no, God does not include any if clauses 
He doesn't include them to the wife. He doesn't include them to the husband. And he's not going to include them to the children either. And so, look at the top of... Uh, Oh, look at the, the next point there, letter B. Speak well of him before others. Speak well of him before others. Does God hate gossip? Sure he does. Sure he does. It is one of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs chapter 6. We can be quote, so quick to say, uh, did, you, did you know? Did you hear? Can you, can you believe what they said? Can you believe what they're doing over there? It may just not be any of your business. If that is not your oversight, don't worry about it. Not at work, not at church. How many times have people come to me and they want me to correct someone else at church and they had nothing to do with that ministry? They had nothing to do with that oversight. It had no effect on them at all. It's not their business. Gossip kills relationships. Would you say that? Gossip kills relationships. But how much more does God hate when you gossip about the people you love, your family, and your friends? Oh, but I was just... It was just a prayer request. No, it's not. It's sin. Gossip is sin even if you're talking about your husband or your wife. It's wrong. And so, respect him because God commands it. Speak well of him before others. And the letter C, uh, be his encourager. Be his encourager. It can be a tough world out there. I mean, the boss can be overbearing and the customer can be irate and the traffic can be stressful and life can be hard. Make the atmosphere of your home a place where your husband wants to come home. It may be that when he goes to work, it just may be that, that he hears uh, good job. It may be that the boss says, You're good job. Gets a pat on the back. It may be that if he has employees, they say, good job. It might be that the coworkers say, good job. It might be the clients. It might be the customers saying, good job, way to go. And then he comes home, and you say, you never do anything right. And, and there's nagging, and there's complaining. And you wonder, why does he spend so much overtime at work? You want the atmosphere. If he has a choice, he wants to choose his overtime to be at home and not someplace else. Be his encourager. Be his encourager. This is what God says. Uh, God, God says, respect him. And then number three, God's message to the sons and the daughters. We find that in chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment uh, with promise. God says to the sons and daughters, his message to the sons and daughters, God says, honor and obey your parents. Honor and obey your parents. Now, young people, I, 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 know, I know you want to be independent I know you want freedom. I know you want to make your own decisions in life. I know you want to be treated like adults. 
And just because you made good grades in school, you succeeded in school, and you put on a cap, and you put on a gown, and you walked across a platform, something like this, and you received your kindergarten diploma. <laughs> that does not mean you no longer have to honor and obey your parents, right? But you know, it's not just true of the kindergarten graduates, it's also true of the high school graduates. Dad and mom are still paying the mortgage. Dad and mom are still paying the electric bill. They're still paying the health insurance. They're still buying the food. And the older you get, the more food they got to buy. As long as you are under their roof, God says, honor and obey your parents. And when you, when you move out from under that roof, the honor is still there, and then the obedience drops off. 18 is just another number in the teens. 18 is just another number in the teens. This will help you. If at first you don't succeed, try doing it the way mom told you to in the beginning. (laughs) And that'll help you. You see, if you want God's favor, if you want God's blessings, if you want God's reward, then you submit to the authority that he has set up in your life. You do that at school. You you do that at college. You do it at work. But most of all, you do it at home. And if you still live at home and you really want to show mom you love her, then you honor her and you obey her. If there's one attitude families are guilty of more than any other when it comes to mothers, it's it's this presumption. It's, It's ingratitude. I mean, just taking them for granted, expecting them to do and serve, being blind to the load that mom carries. It's pretty obvious as you, you know, you just, you go to the supermarket, you go to the, the, the drugstore, you, you go to the card aisles, and you look at the Mother's Day card, and you'll see the humor section, and, and, and you see, you see again and again the joke uh, in the card that draws its humor from this obvious attitude that's just all too common. Like, here's one, forget the housework, mom, it's your day, Mother's Day. Besides, you can always do double duty and catch up on Monday. Uh, my favorite was this uh, great big card that looked like a third grader had, had printed on it. Uh, there's a picture of a little boy, dirty face, torn pants. He's pulling a, a wagon load of, of toys. In front it reads, Mom, I remember the little prayer you used to say for me every day. And you open it up, and inside it read, God help you if you do that again. (laughs) Okay, so honor. What does it mean? Let me give you two key words from Ephesians 6.1. Respect and authority. Respect. What does it mean to honor your mom and dad? Respect for parents is the foundation for every other kind of respect in life and every other kind of authority. This is why... Our prisons are filled. This is why uh, people are turning to addictive behaviors because they they didn't get it at home. Your parents are God's representatives in your home. We see that under the word authority. Submit to the God-given authority. Our parents represent God's authority in this world. When you obey your parents, you're obeying God. Two promises that go with this, verse 3 that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. 
It will be well with you now. I mean, right now, this is important. And then secondly, generally speaking, you will live long in the future. That part is more like a proverb. It's generally true in most circumstances, but not in every case. I mean, we live, we live in a sin-cursed world. We're under the curse of sin. We're under the curse of sickness. We're under the curse of, of death. I mean, sin is in our DNA. But generally speaking, if you follow this, it's the fifth commandment of the ten, and you follow it, generally speaking, you look in life, and it's true. These folks live longer. Now, how do we do this? How to honor mom? Well, here are some things to be able to share. First of all is thanks. Bottom of page three, thanks. Write down one specific thing your mother did for you and, and, and thank her. Special. Or write why your mother is special to you. Share that with her. And then from your memory. I, I, I remember. I like it when mom, and then you, you share that. Honor. My mom can do many things, but she's really best at and what is that one thing? Appreciation. I commit myself to do this for mom. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about this week, this month. Now, now if, you're, if your mom is gone, you can still do this. You share it with your spouse. You share it with your kids, your grandkids. You share it with your nieces and nephews. And you let that example continue on. Now, if, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, let me give the moms a hint of, of what you can do, how you can respond. Want your kids to call you a Mother's Day? Post something embarrassing about them on Facebook. I'll <laughs> just help you out a little bit. One more, one more message, top of page four. God has a message to the parents. We find it in verse four. And ye fathers, ye parents, moms and dads, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God's message to the parents. God says, don't provoke your kids. Now, the foundation of this goes all the way back to the understanding of Genesis 2.24, where it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Every child comes into every home completely helpless. Is that right? Is that right? Uh, without the loving care of parents left in their own, every newborn would perish within about two days. This is one of the horrible lies of the pro-abortion crowd. They say if a fetus cannot survive on its own, then life is not viable. But every infant needs help. Now, when the Supreme Court made that decision in 1973, I want you to know they were thinking around uh, 20 plus weeks. But today, today, with technology in 2019, a one pound preemie baby can survive. Wow. Technology has changed greatly. Viability. That's not the argument. Because, because a newborn infant or baby in the womb, they need help. They can't survive on their own. So they come into the world completely helpless, completely dependent upon what mom and dad can give for nourishment, care, and shelter. But the, the goal, mom and dad, the goal is to take this completely helpless boy or girl and train them over the next two decades to get to the place where they become independent from total dependence to independence, and then they become dependent upon God. And they get married, and the cycle starts all over again. We have a, a phrase. We say that's cutting the what? Cutting the, the apron strings. That's your job. That's your goal. 
And parents and grandparents, if you don't follow that, you're going to bring great heartache to yourself and heartache to your kids and your grandkids. Dr. Carl Herbster was teaching here at our 30th anniversary at Sandy Cove, and he said uh, to the parents, he said, we didn't set up our rules or our fences right on the edge of the cliff. I know my sons would be tempted to climb over those fences as they sometime did. So if they climbed over the fence, and they did from time to time, they didn't fall over the cliff. Wise advice. Set that loving fence back. Parents, you're responsible to set up loving fences. But as your children and as your teens show greater responsibility, you give them more and more freedom. And when they don't, then you bring it back in a little bit and you try again. Why? Why? Because God says, don't provoke your children to anger with unnecessary, overbearing rules or attitudes. Don't speak to your kids disrespectfully. Don't yell at your children. Don't belittle them. Don't intimidate them just because you're bigger than they are. Always discipline in love. Always. And not anger. So what does God say? Does God have anything to say to us on this Mother's Day? And the answer is yes. To the dads, God says, love your wife. Uh, to, the, to the moms, God says, respect your husband. To the sons and the daughters, God says, honor and obey your parents. And to the parents, God says, don't provoke your kids. It's a great truth. If you want God's blessings on your life, then listen, believe, and follow his instructions on family relationships. But the most important relationship of all is your relationship to him. Uh, there is only one way to become part of God's family, being born again by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. May we pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for your word and the truth of it and the power of it. And Father, uh, these truths, these truths need to be applied in our lives. I thank you for the reminder. I thank you for the application. Now, God, help us. Help us to live lives that will, will please you and bring glory to you. With our heads bowed or eyes closed, you'd say, Pastor Wendell, I know that I'm in the family of God. I, I remember a time, maybe you don't remember the date, but you know that you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone. You asked him to become your savior. You asked him to forgive your sins. You believe that he is the son of God and you know you're saved. If God has given you that assurance, would you simply raise your hand all over this auditorium? God bless you. You may put your hands down. You say, Pastor, I, I think I'm saved. I, I hope I'm saved. But I have some doubts. I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. God brought you here to this place for this moment to hear this good news. God loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose again. But knowing it is not enough, you need to trust. You need to believe. You need to follow. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to move that faith from your head to your heart. You can do that right now. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. God will hear the prayer of your heart. If you pray sincerely, you can pray silently. God will hear the prayer commitment from your heart. Pray with me now. If you sense the conviction of sin, the tug in your heart is the Holy Spirit. Say yes to God. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. 
I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. Please save me today. With her heads bowed, if you just pray with me, I want to pray for you. I'll not call you out. I'll not embarrass you in any way. I simply want to pray for you. Would you simply raise your hand? Pastor, I just pray with you. I wasn't sure if I was going to heaven. Receive Jesus as my Savior. Would you hold your hand up high for just a moment? Anyone at all? I ask Jesus Christ to become my Lord, my Savior. Father, we have, we have heard your message, but now we have a choice uh, to believe and obey or to be in doubt and disobey. God, help us. Help us to step out by faith, to trust you by following your truth and your principles. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.